God, we do thank you for this day that you have made and that we will rejoice in because you have made it. In your great grace, you have given us breath this morning. And you've given us the ability to meet together, to study your word, to bask in the glory that is the grace that we've received in Jesus. We pray that you would glorify him in us and among us this morning as we go over this next section in Acts. We pray that as we go through this, your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts to, uh, to build and produce in us the fruit of thankfulness for what you've done. We thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're looking at Acts 13. Last time, we saw Paul and Barnabas make a very difficult and dangerous trip to get to yet another Antioch in the ancient world, Pisidian Antioch. And uh, they, they go over the mountains, they do this thing, go through bandits, risk all that to get to this place. And once they were there, they go to a synagogue and were asked to bring a word of encouragement. Do you remember the, the themes that Paul hit on as he was asked to talk? What, what kind of themes did he hit on in his discussion with the, uh, with the synagogue there at yet another Antioch? Past history, like he kind of connected with them. Right? He did bullet points of history. What else? And why did he do that? We, we, went, we went over that. What, why did he do that? Specifically talking to that audience, so he was connecting their history. Who's the, who's the audience? The Jews. The Jews? And Gentiles. And Gentiles. What kind of Gentiles? Converted. God-fearing. God-fearing, probably converted to Judaism. So he had a, a combined audience there. And he gives them bullet points of what? What is he trying to display in the bullet points that he's doing? God's faithfulness, His mercy, his mercy and, his and His sovereignty. God's in control, and He has acted in a way... It's really good, actually. I'm impressed. He's uh, <laughs> one of the few, I guess. I'm just kidding. Um, so, so there's God's faithfulness, His sovereignty, and His mercy that was displayed in the history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And you even see that in Numbers, by the way. I just throw that out there. What was his, what was his critique? Angela, you and I are just having a discussion. What was his critique of, of the Jews in Jerusalem? Because they didn't see it. it they, had the, they had all the prophets that were telling hey. about Jesus, and they missed it, and he's saying you're going to miss it too. So they had the prophets that foretold what was going to happen with the Messiah. And the Jews in Jerusalem, the center place of all of this Jewish thought and understanding, they should have seen it. And they didn't. And that's an indictment against them. Do you remember what the implication was to the Jews in this synagogue as well? Don't make the same mistake, right? So there is this Expression of God's faithfulness, His mercy, and His sovereignty in the history of Israel. Paul points that out to these Jews at Pisidian Antioch. And he says, with all of this, with all this knowledge, with all this prophecy that they had, they missed Him. They missed Him. Don't do that as well. 
Now it's offered to you. The grace of Christ is offered to you. Don't miss it because there's also what happens if they, if they do miss it, if they do reject. What did he, where did he go there? You know, he's trying to win friends and influence people here, so how does he handle that? What does he say? He goes dark, doesn't he? <laughs> he goes, there's judgment out there. Here's the grace of God, but if you reject this, you will face the wrath of God. And he, and he quotes their own prophets to do this. The response of the audience to Paul's sermon is quite telling. And that's where we're going today. We're going to start in verse 42. And it's a theme that's repeated for the rest of the book. How people are responding to the gospel, specifically Jews and Gentiles. And it really goes to the question, and we talked about this last time, there's a fundamental presupposition, there's a, there's a bias that people bring to the table whenever you're talking about issues. And the Jews have a bias. So do all of us, by the way. We all have, we all have presuppositions. And it comes to the question, who am I and what is the church? And as you, as you come to the question, what is the church, the Jews think of God's people one way, and, the, and Paul and the apostles think of God's people another way. And it's very clear here how that, how that looks. So let's look at verse 42 through 45 first. As they went out, this is again after the sermon that Paul has given so that they would be everybody. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. We'll stop there. So some of the smart folks, when they look at this section, verses 42-43, uh, they think of them as consecutive Sabbaths. So the way it would look is, the first time they're there, they ask them, they beg them uh, that they might be told of the next Sabbath. And so then some of the smart guys say, okay, then the next Sabbath is in verse 43, and after that meeting broke up, um, then, then it's, then it is uh, uh, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and they encouraged them to continue the grace of God. So there's two separate Sabbaths there is what, is what a lot of the guys say. It seems that way to me as well. As they went out was immediately after his sermon. And then, in other words, I guess the point is he's spending weeks there. there this is a three-week view here. Um, and so verse 44 would be that third Sabbath. What's the progression that you see, the language that Luke uses about the progression of how these people are responding to what they're hearing? What's that verse 42? It says what? What do they do first? They begged. Is that, an, is that a light interest? No, it's very, they're very committed. They want to hear more. They're very interested in this. How about that second Sabbath? How are they, how are they responding? He urged them to continue in the grace of God because they were doing what? What are they doing? Continue the grace of 
They were following them, right? Yeah. Heated up. It, it heated up. They're, so much so they didn't want to just hear more. They're actually following them. And following has a, a, an idea of, of believing what they're saying. So you, and you have who doing that, by the way? Jew and Gentile. Gentile. So both. These devout, converted uh, uh, Gentiles are also following Paul. And the people begged. Many Jews and devout converts followed. And then what's that third Sabbath look like? The whole town. The whole city. Almost. I mean, Luke doesn't quite go over the top here. He does kind of pull back almost the whole city. Uh, we talked a little bit about... And I'll go to Angela again. We talked a little bit about the, the demographics last week on Antioch. What, what, who, what is it primarily composed of, the city? Do you remember? Uh, not just you, anybody who, who remembers. Mostly Gentiles, right? There's a strong Jewish minority there, but mostly Gentiles. So you got the whole city coming out to hear Paul. <clears throat> who gets outnumbered? The Jews. the Jews, right? You've got this entire, demographically, a, a predominantly Gentile audience for Paul. So the Jews get, out, get outnumbered. How did this happen? How would this have happened? Let's just kind of think through the process here. How would suddenly the Jews get outnumbered? I mean, they invited him to the synagogue. That's the center of Jewish cultural engagement. It's kind of the... They ghettoed up, basically. They got together. They stayed together. They did their cultural thing. They didn't really interact a whole lot. They, they tried to do all their cultural stuff as isolated as they can. And yet here we have... All these Gentiles coming to the synagogue. How would this have happened? Spirit moves. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, from the macro level, I agree, the Spirit is moving. They're telling. They're telling. They're email. So stop it. No. No, there were no pigeons involved. Um, how, would that, how would this have happened? Word of mouth. Word of mouth by whom? The Gentiles. Verse 43. the Gentiles, those in verse 43, Jew and Gentile, but, but to invite Gentiles is usually going to be other Gentiles, right? So word gets out. What word is getting out? What's the gospel is, and, and as it relates to Gentiles, would be what? More inclusive. It's not just to the Jews. Salvation is not just to Jews, but the Messiah that's come is for there's no barrier. He has broken down his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, right? Through the cross. I don't know if he said those words to Antioch, but, I mean, it was there. <laughs> well, he hadn't gone to Ephesus. That's, that's in a couple of chapters. All right. What's the response of the Jews to this citywide interest in what Paul and Barnabas are saying. They must be very excited. It's a bigger audience they've ever had. Jealous. They're jealous. They're jealous. Why are they jealous? They feel that's their birthright. It's their birthright. Who am I? I'm a child of Abraham. Who are the people of God? Israel. That's their presupposition. Uh, how, to, how, how come they get to come in? They didn't follow the rules. They don't have to do the rituals. What? What? Yeah, it's the older brother, isn't it? And the prodigal son. Yeah, so I heard somebody the say. Thing is, Paul covered all that on the first. Right. 
the first Sabbath that he met with them. Right, right. You, you've, you've rejected him, you've done this. You haven't done everything you should have done, right? He, God was patient with you in the wilderness when you were... Yeah, he went through all of that. Yeah, they but they might have, have been that. okay with that if it still just included just them. Well, yeah, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah we need to be better about being Jews. They're still their, yeah. they're still their life view, I guess. Yeah, they spent an entire lifetime feeling that way. Believing that they were the special chosen people. It's hard to change that. It's not going to change in a no. single day. Uh-huh. Right. How, how is Paul saying, who am I? What is the church? What is his position on that? Just from what we're seeing. The opposite, the opposite yes. <laughs> it's directly opposed. Directly opposed. It's a 180. It's more of a humble, who am I? I, I, am, I am made in the image of God. I am a recipient of grace I don't deserve, right? And the church is inclusive. It's, it's every nation, tribe, People group. Those people aren't there for Paul. Right. They're there for the truth. Right. They're not there. They're not there because Paul's so awesomely awesome. So you have one thing for the Jews to hear a proclamation of the coming Messiah. That's their Messiah. It's quite another to proclaim that that in the Messiah God accepted the Gentiles on equal terms. That's blasphemy to them. Right. Jesus got into some trouble over this when he, when he talked about, in, in very, um, well, the Good Samaritan is a good example. He talked about in terms of, of other people who are not Jews receiving grace and exhibiting grace of God, they freaked out over it. What are you talking about? We can't, we can't with the Samaritans, it's how dare you uh, compliment a half-breed, right? This, this was, was the argument there. It's blasphemy to them. Their answers to the question, who am I and what is a church, shut down Paul's witness to them. So in verse 45, when he says, but, the Jew, but when the Jews saw the crowds, many people take that to mean the Jewish leadership, the guys who are running the show. Uh, maybe. He uses the same term in verse uh, 40. Um, 43 uh, so it, you know many. Yeah, many it doesn't mean all of them you're right um, so I mean it, it could be the Jews it most likely it, it could be the leadership it most likely it is um, <clears throat> but that term we're reviling him in verse 45 were reviling him. The, the NASB translates it this way. Uh, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. The Greek there uh, actually says blaspheming, comma, they spoke, because, you know, Greek has commas, they spoke against the things said by Paul. So that word blaspheming uh, can mean attacking the man, which is what the ESV uses here, reviling him, talking about Paul. Or it could mean uh, being uh, blasphemous toward God or Jesus in some, in some fashion, which is the way that the NASB uh, kind of translates it. I bring that out to say it's probably both, uh, because they're attacking Paul by attacking what he's preaching, and in attacking what Paul's preaching, they're blaspheming God and Jesus. So it's all there. 
but you can kind of see how some of the translations take a different slant to it depending on, on how they view that, that, that word used there. Um, all right, look at verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, Carlos, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. We'll stop there for now. What language does Luke use to describe how Paul and Barnabas reply to the Jews? What, 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 is he, what picture is he painting? How are they responding? It's a familiar phrase there. Boldly. Now, when we've seen that before... What does that usually imply? Filling of the Holy Spirit. Peter spoke boldly on the day of Pentecost. Peter spoke boldly at the temple on the temple grounds. Stephen spoke boldly uh, with the Hellenistic uh, Jews there in Jerusalem before he was stoned. In each of those situations, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke boldly. And that's kind of the implication here. This is not... This is Luke using that language, that, that implication of Jesus. Don't think about what you're going to say, because I'll give you the words to say whenever you're ready to say it. You know, that, that idea. This is God moving through them to speak. And notice what he says. It was necessary that we speak to you first. Why? Why is that necessary? The Jews rejected him. The Jews rejected him. Why is that a big deal? Who they think they came for. Well, That's prophecy fulfilled yeah. what Christ said. Okay, prophecy fulfilled what Christ said. And, and, and that's who they think that he came for, was for the Jews, right? So they, he's a Jewish Messiah. So they go to the Jews first. He is fulfilling what God's promises were to the Jews. So he goes there first. How does he characterize their rejection? What does he say? They've judged themselves unworthy of everlasting life. Thrust, thrust it aside. They've judged themselves unworthy. They've thrust it aside. Um, it reminds me, when I, when I was reading through this, it reminded me of Romans 3, 9 through 12. It says, What then? Are we Jews better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul is quoting Isaiah 49.6 to, to back his decision to turn to the Gentiles, but his assessment of the Jews is, you've judged yourselves worthless by by arguing that you're all that, that you're Abraham's children, and therefore rejecting a gospel that includes Gentiles, you've judged yourself unworthy of salvation. How ironic. And yet he's, and then he goes to 
again, he goes to Isaiah 49.6 that says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is a servant passage in Isaiah. We've talked about that before. These Messiah, these servant Messiah passages in Isaiah. When Philip uh, preached through it, he, he spent a lot of time on this. Originally, this passage in Isaiah envisioned the people of God being a light, being an expression of God, uh, God's character, His grace and mercy in the world, a light to the nations. You will be an example of who I am to the nations. It finds its fulfillment in Christ, who perfectly displayed God the Father. Right? He, he is the, he is the um, uh, imprint of the invisible God. <clears throat> and that's the way Paul uses it here, right? What does he say about this passage? Because God has what? Commanded. Commanded who? The Jews. Us. Who's us? The apostles. What? Is Paul getting a Messiah complex? What is he talking about? This is a messianic passage applied to the Messiah. I've made you a light to the Gentiles, and Paul is appropriating it. He's still in it. Is he? They're following his command, go preach the gospel to all the ends of the earth, right? To all the ends of the earth is kind of co-opting Isaiah language, by the way. Asiatic language, how do you say that? I don't know. <laughs> Isaiah language? Um, we'll come up with it later, put it in the footnotes. Um, he's using that language that was applied to the Messiah, who is the church. Do you see the bias? Do you see the presupposition? The messengers of the Messiah uh, are, are given the mantle of the mission of the Messiah. Do you, is that good in Baptisty? I did two M's. Is that good? Yeah. I did that off the top of my head. It was almost as if in a dream. I don't know. I spaced out there for a minute whenever I said it. Um, it's like what he says in Colossians 1. Yeah? Going after my body is what is lacking in the affliction of Christ. Right. And most people are identifying like that exact same thing. Like he is uh, not, you know, sanctifying anyone or offering salvation in a substantive sense, but uh, bringing that uh, message of salvation. The message needs hands and feet. Right. Mm -hmm. And Christ is not here physically present except through his church. Who is the church? Me. Who am I? Who is the church? These are the questions that confront Jews uh, every town they go in. Who am I? Who is the church? And Paul doesn't say Jews are just those of ethnic background from, from Abraham physically, biologically. Who's the church? They're those from Abraham spiritually. He'll, say, he'll spell that out in the New Testament letters. Um, the Lord commanded us. The messengers of the Messiah are likewise commanded to be a light to the Gentiles. 
If that was the vision of God's people in the Old Testament, and it has been fulfilled in Christ, the church then, and this is what really, I think, causes their hair to catch on fire, the church is the God's people in the New Testament. The church is, in Christ, restored Israel. What ethnic Israel failed to do, and that's the history he went over in his sermon, what they failed to do, spiritual Israel is doing and will do, a lie to the Gentiles. In saying this, though, does Paul stop preaching to Jews? No. In fact, in every town, he goes to the synagogue first, to the Jew first, then also the Greek, right? Every town. And he spells it out in his letters again and again. Everywhere he goes, he goes to the synagogue first. And again and again, we'll see an axe from here on out. He experiences the rejection of the Jews and then turns to the Gentiles. But he never gives up on them, and neither should we. That makes me think of Christ and God himself, actually. He went to the Jews first mm. throughout history, and then they rejected him, and now he goes to the Gentiles, mm. just as Paul and them are doing it town by town. Right. It's the so, same mission. Yeah. It's the same mission. When we use uh, language like this, the church is a restored Israel, uh, people sometimes get verklempt in their genetic about it. They get a little tort, and they and they use they throw around phrases like, "That's a Jewish phrase." I'm in his. He's like this, it's, it's, I'm making up words. Um, they they many times will will lay the charge that you're you're preaching a replacement theology. That's the buzzword that you're saying that oh, the church replaces Israel. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm arguing here, and I think I'm on good grounds, because I think that's what Paul is doing here, is not replacement, but expansion. He's a Jew. The, the church in Jerusalem, they're Jews. It's an expansion. It's an explosion. The people of God includes more than just the boundaries between the West Bank and the Golan Heights. Yes? Right. Not all Israel was God's people. There were, there were at times there were thousands that were killed off for this or that. Or, right, there was always a remnant, but not. It, it was always those that were looking forward and believing God for mm -hmm. the Messiah to come. Right. That were God's people, and so it wasn't like there are two ways to salvation. Right. Either you can be born a Jew or you can believe in Jesus. Right. Which we've known from people who believe that. Yeah. It's always been. You, you're believing that in the God, promises of God. In, in the promises of God. Right. It, yeah, weren't there yeah. Gentiles that uh, came into full as well? Rahab being one. Right. Was she included in the line. No, no, not, not only was she included in, in Israel, but she was part of the line of Jesus. Which is kind of an important place to be. If you're gonna... So yes, it's, it's that exploded in the New Testament. After the cross, I, I've said this before, I have kind of a visual in my head of things, of the way God has kind of worked through history, and, and I, this is open to correction, obviously. But I kind of, I kind of see, you know, Adam and Eve, and then there's this line of Seth that kind of does this. I had a board at one time. I drew this up, and then there's it goes down to Abraham, and then explodes out to the children of Israel, 
and then goes down to whittle, 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 David, then it kind of, and then whittle, whittle, whittle to Jesus. And then when it hits Jesus, it just explodes from everywhere. I don't know if y'all watch, if y'all see those little videos, those little, I don't know what they call them, those little things that they had, the JavaScript deals that they show the, the progression of religions in the world. Have y'all seen those little color-coded deals? You have a tiny strip of land on the Mediterranean for centuries, and then Christianity just explodes. It goes here, then it comes back. It goes here, then it comes back. It goes here, then it comes back. And it just does this thing. It's an amazing thing. God's working in the world with the gospel. There's, there's, I can't remember where I heard this. I, I heard a guy talking about, I didn't know the guy, I was listening to a podcast, uh, talking about a tour he took uh, on, the, on the English Reformation. And he said as they were walking to these towns that had the history of the, you know, that they were doing a historical thing of the Reformation, the God would say, okay, we're going left here because that's where the Holy Spirit went. He didn't go right. And that's the way he talked about it. This is the way the Holy Spirit went in, you know, 14, 15, whatever. And, and, they, and they traced where the Spirit blew to, to bring people to Jesus. Um, the church is an expansion of Israel. I want Jews to come to faith, and I want Palestinians to come to faith in Jesus. I want more Texans to come to faith in Jesus. Vermont's nice this time of year. I mean, I, there's no... And that's a different country entirely. There's, there, there's no barrier there but belief in Christ. You don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to follow the, the rules of the Torah. There is a law of Christ toward holiness that we follow because we want to look like Him. But that's not the basis for the salvation. That's the fruit of it. How... How, well, I mean, Paul doesn't, he doesn't cut off people who are not receptive. Does that make sense? I mean, he, he continues to go to those who are hard-hearted, who have rejected him again and again and again. He goes there first, I guess, is to get the hard stuff out of the, I don't know why he does that. But he, he, he doesn't write off people because they've rejected again and again. And that should be instructive to us. He continues to go to the Jews. He goes to the difficult crowd first. And how do the Gentiles respond? How do the Gentiles respond here? What, is it, what does it say? They rejoice, glorified the word of the Lord. They rejoice. They began rejoicing, the ESV says, and, glor and glorifying the word of the Lord. So there's a volitional response. There's a will that's involved. They heard it and then say, oh, no, that's not what we heard from the synagogue. They believed. They trusted. They rejoiced. And then what does it say? The word was spread. The word was spread. And as many as were appointed believed. To eternal life believed. Appointed to eternal life believed. So here we have. Now everybody's here catching on fire. Here we have, here we have clear act of the will, rejoicing, trusting, believing. 
because they were appointed to eternal life, they believed. So you have a balance here. It's not all they're appointed so we don't have to do anything. It's not, oh, we've got to go buy gas for them so maybe they'll believe and rejoice. Do you see the balance of human volition, human will, and the appointment, the divine, sovereign, I'm going to say the word, the election of God, the predestination of these. What's the implication for those that didn't? They weren't appointed. They weren't appointed. Nor did they choose. And nor did they choose. Right. That's exactly right. They were passed over. They were left in the heart that they had willingly, uh, that they were given, and they willingly operated out of that heart to reject and to not believe. So you have here, this is why that language uh, is so troublesome, is because you have both. It was in response to God's Spirit moving them um, irresistibly. They were appointed to this. All salvation is ultimately by God's grace. So then you have in verse 49, And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city uh, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So Antioch, the mission there, ends kind of on a mixed note of opposition and success, right? You see that. Uh, many Gentiles believed others in positions of power were incited by the Jews to run Paul and Barnabas out of town. And what are they doing with their feet? What's that all about? A boot. What's that all about? Why would they do that? Didn't Jesus tell them to do that? Why, yes, yes, he did. And what does that mean? Why would he tell them to do that? I had never heard this before. I read this recently. This is new for me, so I'm going to give it to you. Apparently, this was a habit of Jews, especially the leadership, rabbis would talk about doing this. When they come from afar, afar uh, in, a, in a Gentile territory, they'd come in. And before they entered Israel, or as they entered Israel, they would shake the dust off their feet of the defiled Gentile country because they were about to enter the Holy Land. So what are Paul and Barnabas doing here? Define irony. What are they doing here? They're saying you're defiled, right? You're the ones who've judged yourselves to be unworthy of eternal life. You're defiled. Therefore, it's on your head, not ours. This is what Jesus tells them to do when a town rejects the gospel. When Paul and Barnabas do this, they are symbolizing that the guilt of the rejection by the Jews is not on them. Their defilement is on their own heads, and Paul and Barnabas have no responsibility in it. It's as if they were leaving a defiled land and coming back to the holy land of their mission. But of course, the gesture doesn't apply to everybody in uh, Pisidian Antioch, did it? And we see that in the last verse 
they're left a witness. They're left at that town a remnant of believing people who are rejoicing and who are, um, who are growing in their faith. The town is left with a witness and disciples filled with joy of God's salvation in Jesus. And so the story of Pisidian Antioch ends on a hopeful and promising note, which is where we'll end today, on a hopeful and promising note. Any questions? Any questions? All right. For the record, it is straight up 10 o'clock. And I will pray to the God of order and timeliness, thanking Him for us being able to comply. <clears throat> Father, we do thank You for the gift of Your grace in Christ, that You, being merciful and faithful and sovereign, saw fit to make unworthy sinners Open their eyes to see the beauty of Christ, the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ that you have shown in our hearts. We thank you for being merciful to, the, to us. God, I pray that you continue to grow in us the beauty of Jesus, a thankfulness for what, for what he has done for us and who he is, and that, that your spirit is working in us individually and corporately as a local body and globally as the body of Christ to look more like him. It's kind of ugly sometimes. Our sin that confronts what we need to be in Christ, what we ought to be in Christ, and who we actually are sometimes is a very, is a very disconnected thing. But God, I thank you that Christ died for those sins as well. That when we're when we're not accurately reflecting Jesus, He purchased forgiveness for us there as well. Would you give us a heart of repentance where we have failed you this week? And would you give us a heart of thankfulness that, we, that, that, that Christ has borne those failures in Himself and that He has fulfilled the mandates of your law and the requirements of your grace and has freely bestowed upon us the benefits in him or all the blessings of God in Christ and we have access to him we are in him such that we are identified with him as a light to the Gentiles to the ends of the earth God would you make it so in us that we wouldn't be just lights to each other here at Sylvania Church, but that we would be shining outside, calling all men to come, repent, and believe the gospel, Christ for righteousness. And we thank you for all these things in his name. Amen.